Hey, Lily. So we spent the last couple of episodes talking about startups, but this week we're going the other way. You've worked at plenty of small companies in your day, but now you're at a bigger one. What's been the biggest challenge for you? You know, it's weird. It doesn't really feel like a big company because I'm working from home, so I don't even see the scale of the organization (laughs) most of the time. But truth be told, it does take a little bit longer to get stuff done than I'm used to. Yeah, I know that one. My biggest challenge was always dealing with budget cycles, which had nothing to do with the changes in the market and how we had to move from funding projects to funding solutions. It's a good thing we're talking to someone who knows our pain, Randy. Katie Sainden is a senior manager of product at GE Healthcare, and she's been navigating these types of issues for the past seven years. Ooh, I bet she's learned a thing or two in that time. Think she's willing to share? Um, yeah. Why else would we be talking to her? So let's get straight to it. The product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Katie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. For anyone who doesn't already know you, can you give us a little bit of an introduction? Who are you? What do you do now? And how did you get into product stuff? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Um, So my name is Katie Sandin. I currently work at GE Healthcare. Um, I'm in what's called our customer digital experience team. So fancy way of saying we're the team that manages the GE Healthcare website, the mobile app, e-commerce experiences, and really anything that our customers would interact with from a digital perspective. Uh, my, my story at GE, so GE is actually the only company I've worked for, crazy. Uh, I joined GE as an intern and then joined one of their leadership programs. So spent two years rotating around different aspects of the business. And that's really where I fell in love with product. So I started in more of a project management role and quickly realized that I was not having near as much fun as the people on the product side. I wanted to get closer to the business, wanted to be in the weeds, the nitty gritty, and not just managing the work at a higher level. So honestly, I started to kind of shadow one of the existing product managers, picking up work for him here or there. And before you know it, I was owning half the backlog. So that's what got me into product. Um, I spent two and a half years in supply chain, working on products for our manufacturing operators, and then switched over onto the customer digital experience side. And I now lead a team of four. We manage what's called the core product capabilities team of the broader CDX experience. And that really is just, again, another fancy way of saying we manage registration, how our customers chat with us, the payment engine, the notification engine, all of those core components that makes up the broader customer digital experience. I love that. I love the way that you got into product was by looking at a product manager and saying, how can I solve your problem? Yep, I want to do that, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So one of the things we want to talk about today was working in a feature factory and trying to Mm -hmm. to make it better. Um, So let's start with the basic definition. 
what is a feature factory and how do I know if I'm in one? Yeah. So for me, you know, the term, it's a hot term out there, but to your point, what exactly is it? What does it mean? Um, In a nutshell, it's you're getting asked to produce output or features instead of solve problems, right? So how you know this, for me, I see it in a lot of different ways in my day-to-day work, whether it's a stakeholder coming to me and saying, hey, I need X feature, whether it's, you know, just today, it was, we need to uh, automate the manual order entry process. And I want you to take what you currently have and move it over here. And it was very output driven. It was very specific into what the stakeholder wanted without talking about the why or the broader problem that we're trying to solve. So that's one example I see. Another one, sadly, when leadership asks me to fill out a template of what I accomplished from a feature perspective quarter by quarter. And when I actually, you know, cringeworthy, you see that we're measuring ourselves and how well we did last year uh, by the fact that we produced 50 features as opposed to 40 the year before. So it's things like that, that it's, it's the incentives, the um, whether it's how you're being asked, but also how you're being measured is in the output and the features themselves versus the problems that you're solving, the broader impact that you're having to the company. Why do you think people ask for features? Yeah. I think it's because sometimes I think it's the easiest way to explain ourselves, right? When you are thinking about a problem, we're trained, I think, as good employees of any company to not only come with a problem, but with a solution, with a suggestion. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes people skip ahead to the, I need X because that's what they've thought will solve the problem. And I think to an extent it's, oh, it's going to take more time if I share the problem or, um, more energy to influence you onto where I think it should go to solve that problem. So I think we skip that part. I think the other reason why it comes in that way, at least in my experience, is just sort of how the organization has been set up. You know, product has evolved over time from the waterfall. You know, it used to be how that you had functional business leads that would kind of say, hey, Mr. Development Team, this is what we want you to do. And and that legacy way of thinking at larger, more established companies is still very much there. And so I think when there's a legacy process, roles, working assumptions, it can be harder to break that mold. So how do we, I guess, I guess the next big question is, how do we become more um, outcome focused? And how do we, you know, how do we start to break that mold? Yeah. I think at first, you know, just like with anything, admit that you have a problem, right? Admit that you are in a feature factory, recognize that. And then I think from there, it's it starts by asking those questions. So when you are presented with a situation where, like the first that I mentioned, hey, you know, I'm I'm the finance lead coming and saying that we have to add this button or this piece of functionality to the application, starting by asking why, you know what? Is it solving this problem? And sometimes I give them an out where I'll say, okay, am I understanding correctly that this is the problem you're trying to solve? And that kind of helps the conversation versus a, well, why? Immediately you're on the defense a bit instead of just really trying to understand. So that I think is the the critical piece to start with. And then from there, you know, I have a process that I like to follow. I'm a huge fan of Teresa Torres's opportunity solution trees and mapping out and making sure there is a clear map of not only the feature to the opportunity, but even to the business outcomes that you're trying to drive. And I think it's so impactful if you walk through that with your stakeholders, with the person that you're trying to influence and and show a new way of working. Because that way, 
you know, what, one thing I love about those trees, it's not only the exercise in establishing the mapping, but it's having the visual and making sure that everyone is thinking through that visual mind map in the same way. So that's a way that I found, you know, if I'm ultimately going to say no to the stakeholder and say, we're not going to implement that feature when they were a part of the process and a part of the rationale to get to that answer, whether it was a no or a yes, it's a lot easier to accept that than if you're just told no. Yeah. And you kind of, I mean, you make it sound very easy, but I imagine you've kind of had challenges along the way. Yeah. I think one of the big ones, and and I think it touches on why feature factories still exist, when to your point, it sounds so simple that it's not the way we should be working. I think that at least what I've seen, when you go through digital transformation or any sort of transformation, reorgs are oftentimes a part of that. If you work in an environment where you're a product manager and you have someone in the business that has the same job, but is just in another function, it's clear that you don't necessarily need both of those roles anymore or in the way that those roles exist. And I think there's discomfort in recognizing that to change, you have to reorg. You know, teams that have those roles today will lose headcount. In my business, that comes with you know, fear of losing control, fear of not getting the people that they need to get the work that they did, not getting as much funding then because they don't have as many people to support. And so all of that, I think, contributes towards this, what I deal with all the time is just this, hey, you know, trying to protect my space, that mentality. And so that's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges I see is it's trying to create an environment where we are all trying to solve the problem in a collaborative way. And making people feel comfortable that I'm not trying to come after your job. I'm truly trying to do what's best for the business and making sure that if we are going to work on something, features, whatever it is, we understand why we're doing it and how we're going to measure it to make sure that we are using our resources most wisely. So that's one of the biggest challenges I see is just the people that are around these these problems in this new way of working. So Katie, this sounds like a, a problem of organizational design from the perspective of you've got a separate product and development team from the business team in the first place. Mm -hmm. This happens in lots of organizations, lots of uh, old school organizations, lots of civil service organizations, things like that. Why do you think that is? Why is there a separate digital and product team that isn't part of the business team in the first place? I think it goes back, you know, I read a, a really interesting article recently that walked through the develop or the, the evolution of product, if you will, and it did start, I think a lot of companies started off where there was someone in the business that would represent the business needs and the customers, whether they were talking to the customers or not, they had, um, either they were in a customer position at one point, you know, they were in sales or some sort of customer facing function. And now their job is to represent those needs. And so I think the fact that that's where a lot of products started, once you start, it's a lot harder to stop, you know, Newton's law, once in motion, it's a lot harder to stop it. Whereas these newer, you know, more tech advanced companies, they started a lot, you know, GE started in 1892, I think it was. So that's a lot of, of history and tradition and, and expectations and working assumptions to break. Whereas companies that started in the last decade, um, have it a lot easier, you get to start at a place that you know, at that time is the way of working, and you have a lot less change to, to work through. So, I mean, GE Healthcare is a really old business then. Um, where would you kind of put it now in terms of its, uh, I guess, evolution of um, becoming a, a digital business? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so we do now have full product teams. So you've got engineering, UX, product managers, um, all on the same team. 
So we're, and we're developing custom software. That even itself is huge, right? It used to be something <laughs> where it was, hello, Oracle, we would like to use your ERP, but we want to make customizations. And you had product managers working with those teams to develop those customizations. So now we are developing custom software, which is so fun and so great. That is great. I think that we are getting a lot further advanced in terms of how we approach discovery. So we do have UX researchers um, that I adore um, and just helping us get out in front of our customers more. In an environment like healthcare, especially amidst the pandemic, it's difficult to get in touch with our customers, to have that time, to get into the hospitals, to be able to observe what they're doing. So having people that are you know, dedicated to putting together different studies on Hotjar or just helping bring in different tools or thinking about how we can approach and understand our customers in different ways has been really useful to our team in evolving our thinking. Because I found that when you're up against a tougher stakeholder who's trying to push that feature factory mentality, there's two ways that you will win that argument. One is if the customer told you something that contradicts that. And two, if you've got the data, maybe it's how the customer has behaved or what we're seeing based um, whether it's even just um, data that we have that's going to support a certain way of thinking. So if you've got those two things or one of the two, you're going to have a lot easier time influencing someone to go a different direction. And so I think that, you know, to your question, where are we? We're on that path where we have more tools, more insights to be able to evolve out of the feature factory. I think it's just a matter of influencing the rest of the business to go that way. Because there definitely is still a perception that the digital teams don't know how to talk to customers and they can't talk to customers and they don't understand the business and that hinders that progress. And so it's showing them through the customer interactions that we do, through the research work we do, hey, you know, we are here to be a strategic member at the table as we figure out how to best solve customer problems. We want to be partners and not be the feature factories, the executioners in going through this. <laughs> so we're talking in January, 2021. We've been in lockdown and lockdown light situations for the last nine months. And you're trying to do primary research in hospitals. How's it worked for you over the last year? As, and with everyone being in the same situation, has that democratization of access actually worked better for you? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I would say the first few months, it was really bad. I mean, we understandably, so we were told by senior leadership, you know, sales couldn't reach out, like no one could reach out because everyone was just trying to survive crisis mode. No one had time to do anything extra. So that, you know, a couple months where it was really just relying on the analytics that we had off of our existing solutions and honestly trying to leverage personal connections. Um, you know, I've got a couple of friends who are doctors and kind of, hey, will you look at this solution for me? Um, but now, now that everyone is adapting to this lifestyle, to your point, it's sometimes easier because before COVID, I remember we'd try to do customer usability sessions and we'd honestly spend the first 10 minutes explaining Zoom or explaining Teams or whatever software we were using. And now everyone's pros. It's very easy to get on that call to, you know, you don't have to explain how to share your screen, don't have to explain how to get off mute or the classic echo where they're on their computer and on the phone. <laughs> so, so that's been a lot easier. Um, it's still a bit of a challenge just finding people that are able to chat depending on how well their facility is faring. You know, each state, each country is handling the pandemic differently, but that has been a positive that everyone knows how to use the technology. 
Um, and just going back to the the feature factories for mm-hmm. a moment, um, you know, one of the sort of big uh, hot topics when it comes to features versus outcomes mm-hmm. uh, is the roadmap. So how do you present your roadmap to the rest of the business and what does it look like and how has that developed over the weeks or months yeah. or years even? <laughs> It's a great question because there's the where I want to be and then there's the compromise of, okay, I'm still expected, you know, finding that balance. So as an example, um, you know, my manager started 2021, has told all of of his directs that we have to have roadmaps for our individual spaces for all of 2021 by the end of January. And, you know, I kind of sit there and everyone's nodding their head. Um, I'm definitely the one to poke the most at ways of working. (laughs) Um, And so what I told my team, what I told them I could do is I was like, look, you know, we've got a a good understanding of what we need to do for the first six months, just based on how we have a really rigorous definition of ready, definition of done process, because we have such strict releases. So we've got a good understanding of that. But I said, for the rest of the year, I am going to present you with problems that we want to go after. And it's not going to be an integration. It's not going to be a certain page that we have to develop, because I know that Regardless of whether I asterisk, red, scratch my roadmap, if there's a date or a relative timeline associated with that, that's what I'm held to. And so if I can at least highlight, you know, this is the problem I want to solve. So for example, um, one of the problems my team is solving on the user management side is how do we get put customer access in the hands of our customers so that they can manage that and not have to go through the process that is, hey, GE, um, I'm no longer with the company. That never happens. Then we're giving access like we shouldn't. Um, hey, GE, someone joined my team. Can you add them to these tools? So we're trying to solve that problem. That as an epic, I think is is great. Instead of saying, okay, we're going to develop an admin portal or we're going to do an IDP integration with that customer's system that they use. So it's taking it up a level. And what I found is that people are okay with that, at least my bosses for now, because it's it's showing, you know, I have an idea forward. I know how I'm going to use the money that was allocated for me, but I'm not going to tell you exactly how I'm going to solve it or exactly how long it's going to take um, is how I'm approaching that. I think the other thing is if I in my head like to approach my roadmaps in terms of now, next, later, knowing that my business likes to think in terms of quarters, how can I roughly think of it the same way? Okay, now is Q1, next is Q2, and later is Q3, Q4. And if my team resonates best with that, I'm okay to use that verbiage so long that there is the, hey, we all know that things come up, right? No one could have predicted COVID. That's like my favorite line lately in terms of saying (laughs) change happens. No one could predict COVID. Um, And that helps. And I think, you know, we we have our roadmaps. We summarize, you know, we, we we share more in terms of problems instead of specific features or epics when we don't know how we're going to solve it. And then I think the other key thing is just continuous communication. So one trap I think that can be easily to fall into at a big company is you oftentimes have your annual annual budgeting cycle. And so we're talking about work we're going to do for the following year come September, October timeframe. And we're also following up on what happened the previous year. And that's where you get into trouble because you committed to something, and I'm using air quotes. I know we're on a podcast. You can't see <laughs> my hands. Um, you committed to something as you were pitching for funding for the following year when in actuality, it's not what you were doing. 
you know, everyone resonates with an idea of how you could solve that problem, because I think it helps you understand the problem itself. But you have to be careful that that's not what you're actually committing to. So by having regular touch points to say, hey, here's where we are today, we've made this amount of progress against a certain problem. And now we're going to either move to another problem, or we haven't made enough progress, we need to continue to focus on this. Usually people are go, yep, that makes sense. Because you have a reason of why you're doing that, whether it's customer interviews, data, whatever it may be. And then it's not a, a big deal. When come the following planning cycle, you're looking at your say-do ratio and it doesn't look exactly like your roadmap looked like a year ago. You know when customers demand more analytical functionality from your software, but you don't want to pull your dev team away from your core product? Oh yeah, there's never enough time for us to work on our product's core functionality and the normal production issues, let alone adding some bespoke reporting requirements. Well, the team at Yellowfin can help. They work with product managers to deliver a modern data analytics experience with relatively low effort using your dev team's existing skills. It's white-labeled for seamless integration and UX, so developers can focus on improving your core product instead of handling reporting requests. Go to yellowfinbi.com forward slash MTP for more info, a demo, and your chance to win a PlayStation 5. That's yellowfinbi.com slash MTP. Part of the problem with that 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 I've encountered in large organizations is uh, you've got stakeholders who have committed budget and planning around it, and they're thinking of the second and third order effects. What you're doing is an enabler for other work they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, so if you decide that the work that you initially targeted doing or the way you initially targeted doing it is no longer the right way, that can really throw their everything else in their roadmap uh, into a mess. You know, it's like a game of bad dominoes. How do you deal with that? That is a great question. I probably don't have the the silver bullet answer. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, cause like you said, I'm on more of like a platform team. So we build core components that are then embedded into our products. And I think part of the challenge right now is that we're still playing catch up a bit in terms of that the components aren't 100% self-service that they're perfect. You don't need to do any enhancements and we're just doing on our own roadmap and, and the teams are consuming them. We're not quite there yet. The best thing that we've been able to do right now is just have that continuous conversation to not make faulty assumptions that either what I'm building they know of or is the right thing to do or vice versa. I would say that we're not, something that sounds as simple as that still doesn't happen today. You know, if there are, there's three parties, there's the core team, the product team, and then those, that team stakeholders, sometimes communication will be happening with two parties and not go up to the third. And so it's, how do we continue to make sure the right people are pulled in and that the right optics are set up to at least remind us to have the conversation? So not great, I realize. Um, I think the only other thing I'd add is we, um, there's a lot of great tools out there from a, a visual collaborative robot perspective. So GE uses AHA. I know ProdPad is another great one. I think the more that you can have visualized in a tool, in a system of record where people can self-serve or go back and see what it is that you talked about, the better. Um, because I think otherwise 
you know, I'm sure if, if each of us were to take notes on this conversation, we'd all document slightly different things. So better to have that one source of truth that everyone can go back to if they need to. Do you think there are situations where product teams maybe aren't ready to be or, or kind of set up to be more outcome focused? So I'm thinking about, you know, if you don't have a a fairly mature, experienced product team that aren't used to tackling a problem and doing the research and everything and testing out solutions quickly. And then also, I guess another scenario might be where if you're building a new product, but you know there's a certain feature set that you just need to do mm-hmm. um, or create. Um, in that sort of situation, you might want to be fairly feature focused in mm-hmm. then as well. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so it's funny, GE actually, in, in trying to go through digital transformation, everyone's title, if you were a project manager, you became a product manager overnight. We're going back and we're realizing that there are two different roles and there's needs for both project managers and product managers. But I share that to answer your question because we definitely have individuals that are more comfortable in a situation where they're told what to do or, or they enjoy more of the, I don't want to figure out what to solve or or who it's impacting. I just want to, to solution and really focus on the technical details and how to integrate with our ERPs or how to do a, a really complex thing, right? So there are folks that enjoy that. And so one thing that's been interesting at GE is navigating this transformation and figuring out, does everyone need to become a product manager in the same way? Um, Some situations, like you said, some of our ERP builds, it's just things that we have to do as a business. We have to get better with SaaS. Right now, our ERPs aren't set up to do SaaS, so that just has to happen. People that are more comfortable in that environment where it's, hey, I want to figure out how to solve the problem, not what problem to solve, will operate better in that sense. So I think there definitely is room and need for both types of teams. I think that there is a situation where, and I see it today, there are individuals that are more comfortable in being told what to do that are in a space that I think really needs to be the other way around. And that's the conversations that we're having as a team on how do we train those people, get them in the right place. Like it's, there are hundreds of thousands of employees at GE Healthcare. That's a a big puzzle to, to face, but I think slowly but surely we're getting there and helping coach people to where they need to go. Um, just as an example, you know, there's someone on my team who recently joined who was operating. She had a really, really strong functional stakeholder. They met every day. He loved setting the vision and he had great inputs as well. But there was times when, you know, he was a stakeholder from the U.S. Canada region. She was working on a global product where we were being much more influenced for USCAN instead of the rest of the world. So that was a, a situation where it wasn't the best outcome and best setup for the product. So we worked a lot and she was she was like a sponge soaking up these new ways of working and she loved being able to ask and poke on those questions and map it out and it's been really cool to watch her grow. So I think it's it's not only a matter of what so I think it's three things. It's what does the product require? Feature more focused or true innovative what's the problem type situation? Who do you have in that role today? What do they want to do and what is their career ambitions? If they are able to be coached, I think that they should keep them and try to grow them in that space versus move them out to a, a role that needs more of the feature factory. It's a really long answer. I hope it helps. 
So one of the things that that touches on as well is you said uh, earlier, you've got a team, I think, of four product managers mm -hmm. working with you, but there's other people at your level and other teams of product managers around GE Healthcare as well, and then other teams that are not working in quite this way. How do you deal with prioritization across the different teams? Mm -hmm. It's a great topic. So we just had our, our a staff meeting in December, and... What's interesting is, you know, we, like a lot of companies, we have our own financial challenges. And so we have, um, we're trying to close the gap and figure out, okay, what are we going to do this year with the money that was allocated? And what was so interesting is in years past, every pillar, so I've got a pillar with the core product capabilities. There's a pillar for our digital selling function, a pillar for education, so on and so forth. We would prioritize in silos because oftentimes we were working with different stakeholders. And in a situation like what I'm sure a lot of companies are in where you don't have maybe as much funding as you'd like, how do you prioritize across those pillars was new. We hadn't done it before. And so what I, my approach, I, in, like I said, I've, I've fallen in love with these opportunity trees as I tried to create a modified version of that, where we highlighted the key metrics that we were trying to drive from the business. Um, so for us, it was all around engagement and then just initial adoption of our solutions. And then I took the epics that my peers had created because everyone was thinking in terms of their own roadmaps and I flipped them and I reframed them into a problem or an opportunity. And I mapped those to the outcomes that we were trying to solve as a team. And I partnered with my UX, the research lead that we have. And we kind of together, based on all the interviews, she's in a lot more than I am, of course. We kind of said, okay, here's from our customer's perspective, the key problems that they want us to solve. And so we had this map and for the first time, it scaled across the entire portfolio. And we had a conversation going through, okay, to drive adoption, here are the different problems we want to solve. And here are some of the high level pieces of work that we need to do to tackle this. And what was so cool is that it did scale across multiple pillars, multiple team members. And so for the first time, we were able to say, okay, these are the things that we have to do. And here's what's less important. And it was a lot easier to get to that number that would close our gap instead of asking everyone to cut a little bit but we're not all thinking about the same problems. We're all trying to solve our own problems. So that is how I took an opportunity solution tree, which is meant for an individual product, and tried to take similar concepts and scale it up a level. Do you think the people bought into it? Will they use it again? What was really cool is that it was interactive. And so for the first time, everyone's like, this was really cool in the sense that we all worked together. I think it's going to take one more time of doing it before it becomes a practice. I think... Um, there was some feedback that was like, well, you know, this isn't a democracy or well, customers don't get to set the agenda because we do have tens of, of financial sources coming in. So certain things that maybe our customers didn't feel is as impactful, but someone has offered money towards it. We don't, we're not, when we have a gap, we're not in the business of saying no to money that's coming in. So that adds another element. So I think that's the problem that we still have to figure out. And what we're trying to do as a business is create more of a senior leadership team that will help look across the business. Because one interesting um, reality that we're in as the customer digital experience team is we're looking across from sales all the way to service our customer experiences. Whereas today we have a separate sales function, a separate service function for each individual product line for each region. And so we're in the business of trying to catch all these different requirements, which is a very hard position to be in. Um, we're very much caught in the middle between two fighting siblings, if you will. And so trying to create a central business team that can help not provide more governance or be just another voice to push down features, 
but a single partner to partner with on GE healthcare business strategy, instead of trying to do that with so many different groups and trying to have the same influencing conversation so many times. So it sounds like you've um, done a lot of influencing <laughs> across the business. And uh, and it sounds like you've kind of gone on quite a journey within GE Healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be your top tips for anyone who kind of recognises this particular sort of state in a business and, you know, wants to push it forward into more of the sort of utopia of um, products? <laughs> yeah, two things I would say. One, I would say network. Know your business, right? You know, I I think what positioned me to be able to influence is the fact that I started in a leadership program. So I rotated through four different teams and organizations, learned not only the um, partners on, on my business and the digital side, but also in our, in our functional sides. So I'm working with people that I worked with years ago. Again, you have a rapport. It's a lot easier to say, hey, I might sound crazy, but trust me, let's try this to see how it goes <laughs> when you have that relationship. So that is key. And then I think the other thing is just, it touches on the same concept of just knowing who it is you're working with. So I am a huge fan of whiteboarding, mapping out anything that I can. I'm a, I'm a visual learner. So I like to map out my stakeholders in terms of their influence and their interest in whatever it is I'm doing. Because you can kind of find, you know, who are your net promoters? Those folks that have the highest interest. Um, maybe they don't have the highest influence yet, but how can you leverage their interest and their belief in what you're moving forward? to push those folks that maybe have higher influence, but less interest. And so that just visually seeing who it is I'm working against, maybe who I don't have to pay attention to as much is good because it's noise otherwise. So for me, you know, I found a couple of folks, um, you know, on the staff that I'm on, one individual in particular, she's very open to, she's got more seniority than I do. So if I can get her on board and there's two of us, then saying this is how we should do it, it's a lot easier to push that than if it's just me, um, saying new things we should do because I I do that a lot. I come with new ways of working. (laughs) I think you've just identified the key thing that I always do wrong, which is build the relationship before you say, this sounds crazy, just trust me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's been huge because I mean, the people that you can poke on and and it's huge if you have that rapport Um, because I have been in situations where I wanted something a little bit different and it does take an element of trust. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Katie, that's a great place to end this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No, it's been great. I love the podcast and I'm hopeful that this will be helpful to others. Thank you, Katie. I'm sure it will. That was really useful. I'm having flashbacks, Lily. I may be better off staying a consultant for the next little while. Yes, because consultants never complain. I know you better than that. (laughs) Touché. Okay, well, no more complaining until next week's episode. See y'all then. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and... Me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. 
connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share grinnings and tips. 